during this or, or quiet time, I, I was doing my own listening and I realized I may have painted myself in the corner with these thoughts this morning and also uh, decided to have meeting for worship because how do you tell everybody that you didn't cancel and not do it and not look arrogant and try to do it with humility at the same time? So I may be in trouble here. I don't think my friends and colleagues who did are going to want to hear me talk about it. Now, humility is kind of a funny thing. Because the moment I start saying, I'm becoming a more humble person, I think I've lost the whole idea. You remember that song years ago, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're what? When you're so perfect in every way. So what does it mean to be humble? For me, and I want to speak as personally as I can, because this is something that as I have entered into the season of Lent, has invited me to think more and more about what does the experience and disposition of humility look like and feel like. For me, it begins with this whole idea of living well. Author pastor Trevor Hudson talks about the spiritual life. And he talks about how in all the places that he has pastored in South Africa, he says this, I learned that deep in the heart of every human being is this question, how do I live well? While these specific words are seldom used, this question is written in the emptiness of our daily life. It's written in our boredom, our despair, our depression, our experimentation with drugs, our addictions, our compulsions, and all the wreckage of human life that surrounds us. In all of these areas, we hear the haunting question, how do I live well? I like that phrase. It's a spiritual journey is something that invites me to reflect upon how I can live well. And for me, humility has become a large part of that. I read this passage out of Luke, this story of two people, a tax collector and a Pharisee. And there really is two perspectives of life going on here. Talking about this humility. It's really a disposition of the soul, by the way. It's a posture toward life. It's a life that is grounded in the reality that all of life is grace. When you take the word, a little bit of etymology here, when you take the word humility and you break it down, it also connects with the word humus, H-U-M-U-S, from which we get the word ground or earth or dirt. So in reality, a humble person is a person who is deeply grounded in who they are. They are deeply grounded in God's grace. They are a person, in my estimation, who knows their place, knows who they are, knows who they are in relationship to God, and there is something earthy about them. They are real. They are honest. And we've met those kind of people. They leave an impression upon us, and they don't even have to try. They just do. You have these two perspectives. You have the perspective of the Pharisee. Arrogant, pride, conceit, epitomized in this very simple phrase, God, I thank you that I am not like everyone else. For this Pharisee, his own self-defined righteousness qualifies him in his mind to be better than everyone else. God had nothing to do with it. He accomplished it all. And so I'm sure taken to the next level for this fellow, he's hardly ever wrong. He isn't 
open to the ideas and opinions of others. He pretty much thinks he's better than everyone else, and he pretty much looks down on what others have to offer. And he pretty much thinks that he's God's gift to the world. But hear those words. I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. It was really interesting to me. Um, a few weeks ago, the whole story of Brian Williams. Well, you remember that, the reporter for the news. That the poor fellow, supposedly, has got caught up in some misstatements about what he did and where he was and what the story was. Now, I like probably some of the others. I kind of chuckled at some of the pictures that started showing up on the Internet. Brian Williams standing with Abraham Lincoln. Brian Williams at the Last Supper. You know, it was all kind of funny and cute. But the more and more I got to thinking about it and reflecting on it, the more I realized I was really no better than that Pharisee because I kept thinking, thank God I am not like Brian Williams. When in reality, I am. When in reality, I have been. I'm just not as big a name as he is. I just don't have the cameras on me all the time. I just don't have my name blazoned all across the papers. You see how easy it is. When someone else falls and fails, it's easy for us to say, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. I'm so glad I didn't do what they did. And maybe we haven't, but there's something within us that makes us feel better about ourselves because we at least just didn't do what they did. And somehow we think it's because of what we've done. It's because how we've managed our life so well. Maybe it's just simply because God's grace has protected us and has kept us from self-destructing at certain points. And so you have the perspective of the tax collector. And the tax collector says simply this, what? God, show mercy to me, a sinner. For him, life is defined simply by the mercy and grace of God. He brings nothing to the table. God brings it all. All of his life is a gift. He deserves none of it. He is totally, completely, and dependent upon God. He is sustained by God. He is honest about his need and condition. He isn't out to impress anyone. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to tear others down in order to build himself up. He just simply is. This is who I am, God. By God's grace, I will keep trying to live well as God shows me and sustains me and nurtures me. And I tried to look at these stories and take away a few things which were just very bottom-shelf kind of things for me. And this is what I would offer this morning, just, to, just about four very simple things, just little sentences, practices, for me at least, to help me in this ongoing journey of humility. The first is this, don't always make it about you because it's not always about you. Or, let me rephrase that. Scott, don't always make it about you, because it's not always about you. Paul says, with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. You know, arrogance in people doesn't come from confidence. It comes from insecurity. When we have to somehow make ourselves better than others, that really comes from an insecure place. And so what would we be better at is really examining what am I missing deep within that I can't find myself validated simply by the grace and love of God. 
The second thing I mentioned to myself, look for what others have to offer. And don't always think that you're better than others regardless of race, job, gender, denomination, age, or financial status. Everyone has something to bring. And there's something very Quaker about that because there is that of God in everyone, regardless of who you are. We're on an equal playing ground. We're on a level playing ground. And there is deep humility in it that we can learn from anybody and everybody, whether it's the person who's older than us down to the person who's younger than us to the person who's least educated than us or more educated than us. There's great humility in being open to what others have to teach us. This third one I had to keep reminding myself, this is what I said to myself, rather than always playing your highlight reel, make an effort to lift someone else up, to celebrate their successes, to genuinely be glad for them. I don't know about you, but what I found, and I have to be careful about this too, this is where the humility part comes in. Social media really is a great way to play your own highlight reel. It's the one way that we can actually make ourselves probably better than we really are. (laughs) Who's going to check the facts? It's all been quoted by Abraham Lincoln anyway, right? But you get the idea. We always play our highlight reel, but often we do it, I do it, because I'm afraid if I don't, someone's going to get the edge on me. And I've got to make sure i got the edge on someone else. But what if I celebrated people's successes? What if I congratulated them? What if out of this deep place of inward security from God's grace, I could just say, that is fantastic. I'm really glad that has worked out for you. Or great job. How many times have I withheld those life-giving words simply because I'm threatened by someone else's success? In your bulletin, there's a great quote from a pastor named James Harnish under the Thoughts for Reflection. Think back across your life for a moment, he writes. Think about some of the really great people in your life. I'll bet they are the people who treated you like royalty, people who acted as if you were the most important person in the room, people who made you feel that you really mattered. The great people in our lives generally are not those who try to impress us with their greatness, but who release the greatness within us. I met a fellow a couple weeks ago when I was at the pastor's conference at Oak Island, a fellow who is president of Barclay College, a Quaker college uh, in Kansas. And we were comparing notes and realized that we each knew so many other people together, paths had crossed, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Indiana days. And he said, do you remember Sherman Branningham? I said, I remember Sherman Branningham. He was the superintendent at Indiana Yearly Meeting when I was a young friend officer. It was a big deal back then to be a young friend's officer. And at Indiana Yearly Meeting, they always had what was called youth night, often like churches do. And because I felt called to speak, and because I told everybody I wanted to be a pastor, and because no one else wanted to speak, I got to give the sermon. And so everyone came into that youth night, and I gave my sermon, and I thought that it was probably the best five minutes that had ever been delivered to everybody in the world. I want to tell you, though, when we talked about Sherman, this fellow, his name was Adrian Halverstadt, I said, you know what, I look back. One of the reasons I am in pastoral ministry today is because of Sherman Branningham. After we got done with that service, one of the first people on stage were Sherman Branningham and his wife, Dorothy, they called her Dot, to come up and shake my hand 
and tell me what a great job I did. Did I do a great job? I don't think so. But what Sherman saw was a young man who felt called into pastoral ministry and needed to hear the words that was spot on, that was fantastic. And I think in part I do what I do today because he took the time to come up on that stage. A very humble man wasn't about him. It was about this young man delivering a sermon at yearly meeting sessions and said, great job. I guarantee you there is someone in your life this next week dying to hear those words from you. And the last thing I just say to myself in this journey to humility, take some time off, Scott, from playing God. Instead, live a life of faithful obedience to God, submitting myself to God's direction, guidance, and wisdom. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul says. And he humbled himself and became obedient even death on a cross. It doesn't mean that we're going to take the same journey. The point is, Paul said, Jesus humbled himself in obedience. In other words, to live a life of humility is to live our lives with this open heart and soul to say to God, I'm yours. However you call, whatever you invite me to be about, wherever I need to go, I am yours, and I will be faithful to that. I'm not God. You are. So what's on tap for today? What do we got going this week? Where do I need to be and who do I need to be? I think that's what humility says and does, at least for me. It lays our life open before God and allows God to direct it and shape it and form it as God leads and as God wants. So, living life well, sinking our life with the mind of Jesus, with the way of Jesus. For me, It has a lot to do with humility. I don't always get it right. Most of the time I get it wrong. But I find that when I do live into it in a way that I know for myself, and again, it defeats the purpose for me to announce it, hey, I was humble today. But I know deep down inside when it happens. I know when I have lived into that place of humility. And I want to tell you, it feels so much better than that place of arrogance. It feels so much better than that place of me trying to be God.